Christchurch, New Malden, 8th of November 2020. Stephen Kurt speaking on A Fresh Take on Remembrance. So why on this Remembrance Sunday in 2020 am I making particular reference to the Dambusters? The Dambusters, for those of you who don't know, is the name that was given to a particular RAF unit, 617 Squadron, that during the Second World War successfully breached two massive dams in Germany, the Myrna and the Ada, with a bomb that, astonishingly, was designed to bounce on water. Well, it's partly because it's an event that's done a huge amount to influence the attitudes that we take into remembrance. And that's overwhelmingly because of the famous film that was made of it after the war had ended. The Dambusters was made in 1955 and is, in my opinion and plenty of others, a masterpiece, telling the story, in its first part, of the inventor Barnes Wallace and the various obstacles that he had to overcome in developing this special weapon, before in its second part telling the story of the raid itself, led by Wing Commander Guy Gibson. And as a film, it's incredibly British, emphasising how ingenuity, determination, good humour and supremely understated courage was able to triumph in the face of danger and adversity. And the reason that it's particularly shaped the attitudes we bring to remembrance is because it's a pretty serious film that combines all of this with showing the terrible cost and tragedy of war. But there's another reason why the Dambusters is particularly associated with Remembrance Sunday, and that's because of that hymn that we've just sung. The stirring music written for the film by the composer Eric Coates was a key part of its success, and in 1970 a vicar called Richard Buse decided to make it into a hymn by combining its tune with the words of Psalm 46. Now it's rather a regret of mine that I never asked Richard Buse, whom I met on a couple of occasions but who died last year, what inspired him to do this. But it's a hymn that fairly swiftly became very popular, especially on Remembrance Sunday. And given that we sing it pretty much every year, I thought that what we'd do this year, this Remembrance Sunday, is to take a fresh look at both the story of the Dambusters and Psalm 46 and see how doing this can help us as we mark this very familiar occasion in the middle of these very unfamiliar and difficult times of coronavirus. A time when we perhaps feel that we need a bit more ingenuity, a bit more determination, good humour and courage understated or otherwise, to get through it all. So what about the story of the famous raid? How should Christians respond to something like this? Should we remember it? Should we be proud of it? Well, this is where I have to share how much the story of the Dambusters consumed me as a child, reading everything that I could get my hands on about it. So I knew the names of all of the pilots and many of their crews, the code names of their aircraft, and I knew what happened to each of them. I made and carefully painted a model of the Lancaster bomber used on the raid, which I hung from my bedroom ceiling. And once video came along, I knew pretty much every bit of the film off by heart. Now, I wasn't the only one. When George Lucas made Star Wars in the late 1970s, he reused all of the dialogue from the final part of the Dambusters in the raid that ends that film. Maths and science were subjects that carried no interest for me whatsoever at school, but I made an exception in the case of the Dambusters, trying to understand every detail of how the bomb worked and why. And it wasn't just glamorised in my mind. 
In fact, the scenes that made the most impact on me when I first saw the Dambusters at the age of eight were those near its end, those scenes of the rooms of some of the 53 airmen who died, totally silent, apart from the ticking clock on a mantelpiece that one of them had wound up just before he left for the raid. But as I've grown older and continued my interest in the Dambusters by reading newer books that have come out on the raid, my perspective on it has inevitably changed. This reading has brought home to me that while its propaganda value in 1943 and for a long time afterwards was huge, the raid wasn't, in all honesty, the game-changer for the war that was claimed for it. Partly because the third dam, the Zorpa, as important as the Myrna and far more important than the Ada, wasn't breached on the raid. Not all of the aircrew who took part in the raid were as experienced as the myth would have it, and they were disproportionately among those who died as a result. More disturbingly, I read the accounts of what it was like for those swept up in the devastation caused by the raid, as houses, possessions and entire families were swept away by the flood. I learnt about the 1,650 civilians that the raid killed, including at least 493 female forced labourers from the Ukraine. Yes, the dam's raid involved enormous degrees of ingenuity and courage, and a number of those involved, including Barnes-Wallace, were committed Christians, who sincerely believed that what they were doing was right, because of the evil that they were seeking to oppose. But it also speaks very powerfully, as to be fair the film tried to show, of the awfulness and the horror of war. So what does this famous story of the Dambusters, our remembrance of war overall, and our ongoing battle with coronavirus, what do these things look like when we view these things through the lens of Psalm 46? The psalm splits into three sections, and these are the points, I think, that each of these sections are trying to make. First of all, God is the sole source of strength when the world around us is collapsing. It's perhaps verse 3 of the psalm that gave Richard Buse the idea of setting it to the tune of the Dambusters' March, as it says the waters roar and foam. That certainly happened on that night in May 1943, when the dams broke, releasing the devastating power of all of that water that they were storing. But here, in this psalm, the writer is describing an even greater devastation, speaking of the whole earth giving way as its mountains fall into the sea. It's cosmic language, used to express in vivid metaphor total catastrophe coming upon the world. And that's something that the psalm's original hearers and the wartime generation and us struggling with the impact of coronavirus can definitely relate to. Plus those perhaps in America in the wake of the election this week. The feeling that the events around us are so disturbing that we now lack any control at all. And yet, in the middle of all of this chaos, we get this almost defiant statement that God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And that's because, as this psalm makes clear throughout, he's the Lord of creation. He is the one who made it all, and the one, therefore, with sovereignty over it. And that's a reminder on Remembrance Sunday, 
as well as in the middle of this coronavirus crisis, that whilst human ingenuity and courage in all of its forms should be remembered, we must never forget or be distracted by this to forget that it's God alone who provides our strength and refuge because he alone is in charge of creation. And very often it takes everything disintegrating around us for us to start recognising again the limits of our human control and see that it's in him alone that strength and refuge can ultimately be found. That leads to the point of the central section of the psalm, which is that God's presence is found in the middle of the chaos. Because in the middle of these images of cosmic catastrophe, we suddenly get a more positive image of water, with a life-giving river flowing from the city of God. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms are falling, and yet God, it says, remains our fortress. All of that political chaos show that all human structures, as much as creation itself, are completely within God's power, and yet it's not his final word. Right in the middle of all of this chaos, God is not only in control, but providing us with a fortress through his presence with us. As I say, a number of those involved in the Dam's Raid had an active Christian faith. I've mentioned Barnes Wallace already, but there was also Melvin Young, Guy Gibson's deputy on the raid. It was his bomb that made the first breach in the Myrna Dam, and sadly Young and his crew were shot down and killed just after passing the Dutch coast on their way home, when just a minute or so later they would have been safe. And here is part of what Melvin Young had written to a friend a few years earlier. I'm not frightened of dying, if it's God's will, and only hope that I may die doing my duty as I should. In the meantime, I remain as cheerful as most, I think, and try to keep others so. Another of the Dambusters, who was a keen Christian, was Les Knight. Les Knight was a New Zealander, and it was his bomb that breached the Ada Dam. And unlike Melvin Young, he survived the raid. He was extremely quiet, he was a very keen Methodist, and he was teetotal, something that very much went against the grain of aircrew at the time, and meant that he received quite a lot of mockery. But he took it in good grace, and the others came to recognise the quiet strength and the resolution that Les Knight possessed from his Christian faith. And that was needed four months after the dam's raid, when on another sortie in September 1943, the engines of his Lancaster were damaged, and with amazing courage, Les Knight carried on flying it long enough and high enough for the rest of his crew to be able to bail out. And the result was that all of them survived, both that raid and the rest of the war, while Les Knight was killed. Now the rest of his crew have now died as well, but they lived to good ages, and I've seen them interviewed and speaking powerfully of what they owed to their skipper, and the strength and therefore courage that they recognised that this very quiet man received from his faith in God. Now Christians take different views on the right response to make to war, and the choices of Barnes Wallace, Melvin Young and Les Knight wouldn't be those of everyone. But their stories, and particularly this one of Les Knight, demonstrates the strength that we can find in God's presence and the courage we need when everything around us is falling apart.
And that's our link to the final section of Psalm 46 and its point, which is the call to acknowledge God's lordship of the world. The whole psalm is making the case that the very chaos within the world and the downfall of its nations is evidence that the world isn't autonomous but subject to God. Coronavirus and the chaos that it's brought upon our nation and the world has demonstrated much the same, hasn't it? So perhaps of events this week in America. A world that increasingly thought it could manage very well without God has discovered that it has much less power than it thought it had. But it's these very desolations brought about by God, the last part of the psalm says, that point us to God's sovereignty in a more positive sense, that he will ultimately bring his control in war ceasing and the destruction of its weapons and the coming of peace. Be still and know that I am God. That statement in Psalm 46 is often seen as a gentle, comforting message, but as Tim suggested a few weeks ago, it's really more of a rebuke to a busy, unlistening world to stop thinking that it can manage by itself and recognise that it's in God alone that true strength can be found. Yes, human beings can show remarkable ingenuity and courage in the face of disaster. We've seen that during the last eight or so months, not least within the ministry of many within our church, as it's been kept going by great hard work and skill. But ultimately, these very disasters should lead us back to, to remembering to be still and know that I am God. Our response to war and remembrance should likewise be respect for courage and self-sacrifice, but ultimately the acknowledgement of the sovereignty of the God who will one day bring wars with all of their awfulness and futility to an end. You might be wondering why we had that second reading from 2 Samuel as well as Psalm 46. It's a very short story and despite the extensive Bible teaching that I received at church and at Sunday schools as a kid, I'd actually never heard that story from the Bible until I got to the final couple of pages of Paul Brickhill's book, The Dambusters, when I was 12. Now I know my age because I was on holiday in Cornwall at the time. I remember buying the book and reading it from cover to cover. Now that book's since been replaced, really, by more rounded accounts of the raid. But there is one part that can't really be bettered. Right at the end of the book, it reports how after the war, when Barnes Wallace had been offered financial rewards for his wartime service and had declined them all, he was asked why this was by a journalist. And in response, Barnes Wallace retold the Bible story about David wishing that he could drink from the well in Bethlehem, and even though it was in Philistine hands, three of his mighty men breaking into the town to get it for him. Rather like the dam's raid, it was an amazing act of courage. But when they brought the water back to David, he refused to drink it, and instead, we're told, he poured it out before the Lord. And he said these words, Is it not, David said, and Barnes Wallace quoted, the blood of those who went at risk of their lives. David, in other words, wanted his response to the courage of his men to be completely submitted to his acknowledgement of God as Lord of the world. There's plenty of diversity about how Christians should respond to war. Some believe in pacifism, some in various forms of just war theory. There's plenty of diversity about how Christians should respond to remembrance. And we know only too well 
There's plenty of diversity, including amongst Christians, about how we should best respond to coronavirus. There's also, perhaps most uncomfortably for some of us, a diversity of responses amongst Christians to the political situation in America. But in the middle of all such chaos, Psalm 46 summons us to something that all Christians can agree upon. The recognition that when the world seems to be falling apart, the only source of genuine strength and refuge lies in its creator. And the God, whom however chaotic the world becomes, is committed to being present within it, including within fallen human beings trying to do the right thing in response to him, and because God will ultimately rescue and redeem his world. Be still and know that I am God is a message that we need to hear now more than ever. And so on Remembrance Sunday in 2020, let's commit ourselves to returning to God as our strength and our refuge, our very present help in trouble.